the verses again. And um, you have it on page 1092 in the Bordeaux Coloured Bibles. <coughs> Acts chapter 1, looking at verse 1 down to verse 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote, all about, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates or the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Um, have you ever been in a time in your life when you thought the whole world has gone nuts. The world has gone mad. I see one or two nods. I think I know why, uh, with one or two people. Uh, they think that. Um, but there are occasions when we get caught up in big events, yeah? For example, um, at the moment, different places are celebrating the 75th anniversary of the liberation from the Nazi occupation. Bordeaux was kind of like um, a couple of days ago, I think. Um, today it's Holland, the liberation of Holland. Um, so the, the kind of, um, if you look in the newspapers or if you look on, on the uh, kind of websites and so on, you'll see pictures of people dancing in the street in Bordeaux. People were, um, were playing music and literally dancing on Rue Sainte-Catherine because the Nazi occupation was over. And all of a sudden the world had gone nuts. And now the world was going nuts again, but it was gonna um, resume normality. And they, in their little lives, were all taken up in that, yeah? So um, events that are really, really big, they come in and they disturb your life. And your life is really different. Now we're starting to look at the acts uh, Suleiman said um, it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. People discuss the title for the book. Sometimes people say it should be called the Acts of Jesus because of the way that Luke starts his book. 
Other people say, well, no, call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, I don't want to spend a lot of time kind of thinking about that. But I want to um, think about the purpose of Acts and what message it's got for us this evening, okay? And I don't want this to be one of those uh, deadly first message of a series ones where you talk about the author and the recipient and the town it was going to and kind of like, you know, when everyone wishes for death, really, because it's so long and tedious and boring. We know it was written by Luke. We know it was written by Luke because he refers to his gospel um, in the first couple of verses and refers to, he says, the former book that he wrote. Yeah. And so he wrote Luke and Acts, both of them written to this guy who may have existed, may have maybe a made up name. Uh, There were people called Theophilus, but we don't know who it was. Sometimes he calls him most excellent Theophilus. And so it could be he was a Roman dignitary. It could be he was just someone very important. Or it could be someone that Luke had invented. And that he's writing for a kind of general reader. Because Theophilus means someone who loves God. Okay? So it could be that it was um, that Luke is just writing for everyone. Um, the book is the longest book in the New Testament. <clears throat> but the reason for the length of the book, and uh, Luke is also quite long, is because that's how much you could fit on a standard scroll. Uh, I read this and was fascinated by it. A standard scroll of papyrus was 10 meters long. And if you write out Luke and Acts in the way they wrote in those days, capital letters, no spaces, no punctuation, it takes up almost 10 meters of writing. Which uh, I thought, whoa, that's fascinating, isn't it? And explains why no book in the New Testament is longer. Because you take more than one scroll. And it was expensive. And it took a long time. And you couldn't print them. You had to copy them out. So, um, so there we are. Um, why did Luke write it? Well, he wrote it, some people say, as a biography. But a biography of who? Peter? Paul? It's a funny biography. Um, Some people say he wrote it as a history, but if we were writing a history, we wouldn't write it like this, would we? I mean, what about the other apostles? We learn a lot about Peter, and then all of a sudden we learn nothing more about Peter, and we learn a lot about Paul. But what about Thomas? What about John? What about James? What about the other apostles? You know, what happens to them? What about Jerusalem, the fall of Jerusalem? Why does he stop before the destruction of Jerusalem? So it's a funny kind of history. It's a weird history. Um, I think that Luke is writing Acts and his gospel. He's writing Luke and Acts as an explanation. He's writing to Theophilus to explain why something really weird has happened. And the really weird thing that has happened is that in Rome, the heart of the Roman Empire... Where Caesar reigns, and where Caesar rules over the whole wide world, and where Caesar is worshipped as God, yeah, because they would literally burn incense to Caesar and pray to Caesar. They would call Caesar our saviour. Where people treated Caesar like that, all of a sudden people were worshipping a carpenter from Israel. I mean, how? Why? 
from Israel, you know. To us, Israel is kind of like an important place. Jerusalem is an important place. But that's because we've got 2,000 years of Christianity behind us. To the Romans, Jerusalem was just like, um, it was nothing. Israel was nothing. It was just another troublesome country. It was like talking about Tunbridge Tunbridge Wells, you know. Who cares about Tunbridge Wells or anyone who ever lived there? And so for, the, for, for people living in Rome, all of a sudden, I don't think anyone here cares, cares about Tunbridge Wells. Um, so um, all of a sudden, here in Rome, there are people singing about Jesus, praying to Jesus, and saying that Jesus is alive, and saying that Jesus is king, and not just of the Roman Empire, but of the whole universe, that he is the one who made everything, and the one for whom everything exists. How come? And we're talking about this just like 30 years after Jesus lived and was crucified, you know? What's more, this guy was crucified. And then they say he came back from the dead. How come people can believe these things in the heart of the Roman Empire? How come? And so Luke is writing to explain how, how did it all come to be? Is it true? And if it is true, where will this all end? Because after all, Caesar, you know, he thinks he reigns supreme. You start telling Caesar there's another king greater than him, and that could bring trouble. And it would bring trouble. So it's an explanation, okay? Now, um, in the remainder of the time left to us this evening, I want to say three things about this explanation. And they're all found in this passage, but I'm not going to go, verse 1 to 3 says this, verse 4 to 7 says this, verse 8 to 11 says this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you the three explanations that we see in this passage, and um, you'll, you'll see them from the text, okay? So there are three parts of this explanation that we see straight away. The first is this. God has been at work. God has done something amazing. And we see it here in the, um, in the early chapters, of early verses. For example, look at verse 4. It's Jesus who's speaking. He's speaking to the disciples and he says, uh, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So God has done something amazing. And God has done something amazing uh, that it had been promised, but that had never been seen before. It was, it was what the Bible calls a mystery. You know, it was something that, that people kind of knew about, but didn't really understand. And then all of a sudden, whoa, it's that. And, and that's what we see in these early verses. We see that the Father sent his Son. Jesus refers to God, the Father, as his Father. My Father promised. Yeah? So God the Father sent his Son. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent him into this world to live in this world. He came from the glory of heaven into this bad, sad world to live uh, just like us. Yeah? The kind of lives that we live. He lived a life in this world, but a perfect life. 
He never failed, he never rebelled, he never sinned. Yeah? To live. But then also he sent him into this world to die. God sent his son into the world to die. Let the strangeness of that sink into your mind. How weird that God should send his son to die. And so the eternal son of God, immortal, could not die. He comes and he's nailed to a cross where he tastes death for us all. He dies, nailed to a cross in our place. But not only to live and to die, but to rise from the dead. And if we think that God sending his son to live and to die is strange, to rise from the dead, well, to the Roman mind, this was nonsense. You know, how could, how could you even think like that, that someone could rise from the dead, especially after they were crucified, dying in shame like that, rejected, condemned, cursed? And yet he died and he rose from the dead, vindicated by his heavenly father. That's why um, Luke says he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Theophilus, you've got to believe he was alive. They saw him during six weeks and they could see he was alive. Not only that, look at what he says in kind of like in passing. Verse four, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, while he was eating with them, he was so alive he ate with them. You know, how do you know someone's alive? Well, you know they're alive if they eat. It's a good sign, isn't it? And there he is eating with them. And he really did rise from the dead. And the father also then promised the spirit. And so we see father, son, Holy Spirit working here. Jesus came He lived, he died, he rose, he's alive, he ascended to heaven, he'll come again. And he sends the Spirit, and the Spirit comes just as God promised, to empower his people to be witnesses. Jesus says, you'll receive power, and you'll go everywhere, and you'll tell people about me. And that's exactly what happened. We're going to think a bit more about that in a moment, but I want to just plant this seed You know the disciples, at the crucifixion, they were not a promising bunch. In fact, all through Jesus' ministry, they weren't really promising, were they? Um, If you wanted an example of teamwork, you wouldn't look at the disciples. Frankly, they were competitive. They argued all the time about which one of them was the best. Yeah? Imagine running a football team like that. A rugby team. A cricket team where everyone's trying to show that they're the best and the others are not as good. Imagine any kind of uh, group work like that where there's one person who's competitive. It's, it's, it's not going to work, is it? And if you're all competitive, it's a disaster. They were not promising. And yet here, 30 years later, the news of Jesus Christ has taken root in Rome. There are people in Rome who worship Jesus. How could that be? How could that happen? How did this bunch of no good people uh, get their act together to get the message to Rome? They didn't have internet. They didn't have newspapers. They didn't have printing presses. They, they, had, they had legs. That's what they had. They had legs and tongues, you know. Uh, and Rome was a long way away. 
uh, and there were lots of obstacles. And yet, 30 years later, the good news of Jesus had taken root in Rome. What explains it? God's Holy Spirit. Okay? So God has done something amazing. That's the first explanation. God has done something amazing. Second explanation, <clears throat> and this is something that um, we need to grasp, and we'll see this all the time in Acts. This is uh, the biggest kind of preparation bit of this message, okay? And I want to say it like this. The focus of God's saving work in the world has changed. The focus of the way God saves people in the world has changed. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. You know, in the Old Testament, if you want to know God, what do you have to do? Imagine me, someone from the British Isles. Uh, I wanted to know God and we're still in the Old Testament. What am I going to have to do? Anyone got a suggestion? How am I going to do it? How? Become a Jew? Are you serious? He's right though, isn't he? I'm going to have to become a Jew. Um, I'm not all that enthusiastic about the idea. Um, but I am, I'm going to have to become a Jew. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to have to make sacrifices. I'm going to, I'm going to have to attach myself somehow to God's people. That's what happens, isn't it, in the Old Testament? Um, there's a temple. There are priests. There are prophets. Where are they? They're all in Israel. You want to know God? You, that's where you've got to go. Yeah? Uh, and so if you want to be saved, you go to Israel. That's what you do. And we see it happen. Think of some people who were not Jewish, but who were saved in the Old Testament. Yell them out. Ruth, Moabites. Uh, how does she, how does she be, uh, come to know God? She comes with her mother-in-law and, uh, and comes to Israel. Anyone else? Yeah, Rahab. In this case, Israel is kind of moving through her town. And she says, look, we've all heard about you. And I believe. Uh, and she helps God's people settle down uh, in Israel. Anyone else that you want to think of? There are other examples, but they're the ones who come to mind first. But yeah, Naaman, Naaman comes to Israel. He comes to Israel. If he's going to worship God, he's got to come to Israel. Um, and so we could go on, couldn't we? Basically, if you want to know God, in the Old Testament, you've got to come to Israel. Now, it's not like that at all. Jesus says, now I'm sending you all out. You're going to be my witnesses. Where? He says, in Jerusalem. In all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the focus has changed. Before it was very geographical. Now it is not at all geographical. It's kind of and out it goes. Yeah. Um, the words sometimes people use and I kind of give them to you and they're, they're not that hard. But in the Old Testament it was centripetal. You had to come into the middle. Yeah? In the New Testament, it's centrifugal. It goes and goes out from the middle into the whole wide world. Yeah? So the focus of God's saving work has changed. 
So first explanation, God has done something amazing. He's been at work. Second explanation, the focus of God's saving work has changed. And that's why the good news is implanted now in Rome. That's why there's people who don't worship Caesar anymore. They live as good citizens, but they worship Jesus and they know he's their king, really. And then the third explanation. And um, the third explanation is this. I'm going to put it like this. Time is moving on. Okay? The disciples, they ask this question, this fascinating question in verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Yeah? So they say, now we know that you are the real king. You are the king from the line of David. You've come, you've lived, you've died, you rose again in triumph. Now we've seen your amazing power. We've seen you calm storms. We've seen you heal the sick. We've seen you raise the dead. Surely now you will drive out the Romans and establish your kingdom here in Jerusalem, in Israel. And um, for them, that's just obvious. This means war. Now, how they were going to do this, I don't know, because um, there's a small number of them. Uh, later on in the chapter, we find 120 people gathered. Uh, that's not that many to take on the Roman army. Um, I wouldn't want to do it. However, maybe they were counting on Jesus using kind of like miraculous power uh, to drive out the Romans or something. I don't know. I don't know what was in their head. But Jesus says something really interesting. He says, that is not how it works. Look at what he says in verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, I'm unleashing something that is far more powerful and far more subversive than warfare. You know, war, warfare comes and warfare goes, doesn't it? What does it change? Not a lot. But Jesus sends his disciples out not with a sword but with a word a word a subversive message that is going to topple empires and change the world forever yeah and so time is moving on they are going to take the message of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit to the whole wide world and the world will never be the same again. And the whole world will be transformed by this message. Last point, <clears throat> and it's kind of like a um, point of application. Here are the disciples then, and Jesus um, is taken from their sight. He uh, ascends into heaven where he sits at God's right hand uh, to reign and to rule uh, forever. And the disciples are stood there looking up, uh, somewhat amazed at uh, all they've experienced. And then all of a sudden, there are these two men dressed in white who say to them, Men of Galilee, why are you stood here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven 
will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. These gazing men are going to be made into witnesses. They've got to go between the time of Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. They've got to go into the whole wide world and tell everyone about the message of Jesus Christ. And the point for us then is this. <clears throat> uh, how, how is the gospel going to take root in Bordeaux? You know, you'll see if you look at our leaflet that we have a, a goal of seeing a church in every quartier in Bordeaux, every, every district of Bordeaux. Um, it's a big goal. Um, and it's too big for us. There's no way we can do that. I don't see any way we can do it. I don't see any plan we could adopt that would get a, gos a, a gospel church in every district of Bordeaux in the foreseeable future. So we don't have a plan. But I can tell you this. It is a smaller part of what God is doing than what Jesus told the disciples. He said, go everywhere in the whole wide world. You guys, off you go. You're going to tell the message of Jesus everywhere to the, to the ends of the earth. Well, we only have the ends of Bordeaux, you know. The ends of Bordeaux are small fry, isn't it? How do we do it? Well, do we, is modern media going to do it for us? We, we'll use modern, modern media. We're recording for a podcast. But that's not going to do it, is it? You know, it's good to use a podcast, but it's not going to do it. Powerful personalities, well, it'd be great to have some, but you know, they're not going to do it, are they? There's no powerful personality that can achieve this. It's not going to happen like that. Uh, money, well, you know, money is always useful, and um, if you want to give to the work of the, of the church here, there's an offering box in the porch, and we always forget to tell you about it. Go figure. And it's really important to give to the work of God, isn't it? That is really important. It's one of the first responsibilities we have as a Christian. Um, the money isn't going to do it. You could throw all the money you want at it. It's not going to happen. Um, can't even read my writing here. Oh yeah, the militia. Could we unleash uh, uh, the army to do it? No. Uh, will lies do it? No. Nothing will do it except people like you. People like me. People like the disciples. You know, they're not, they're not great they're not wonderful. They're not particularly gifted. Uh, they haven't got a great track record. Uh, they're a little bit afraid. They don't have everything that's necessary. Um, they can't quite see how they're going to do this. They haven't even got a plan. But they do believe the message. And they do see the point. And they do depend on God. And they do believe what Jesus said. And they do what they can to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And that is how Jesus builds his church. And the gates of hell fall before people like you and me who just do what we can in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what's that got to do with this? Well, <clears throat> I want to say a couple of things that are very, very practical applications, okay? And to ask the help of you all. Firstly, get involved in the equipped for service thing. Um, <clears throat> sign up to read the books. Uh, we can do that together, can't we? 
Uh, let's grow together in our faith. Meet together one-to-one, at least once a month, more if you can. Um, if you have an, um, a, a, a pair of people that meets already, then we're not going to break that up. Carry on doing that. But otherwise, we'll put you in a pair. We'll put you with someone to meet up with regularly. And um, get involved, volunteer for the work of the church, and we'll find you a really good, suitable, practical job to do. Uh, We promise to do that. So get involved with that. But then a concrete challenge for this week. We have these flyers. They're really blue. Really, really blue. Um, So they're quite visible. And on the front, it's got a picture of the uh, Pont de Pierre and then the church logo and the church strap line. On the back, a map showing where we meet and all the contact details. This, by the way, will give you the, um, the address of the Facebook page and everything else you need. Could you take 10 of these this week, 10 of these, and put them somewhere suitable? For example, in a university restaurant, if you're a student, put some in uh, Veracruz or in uh, Sirtaki or in the Cruz at uh, Victoire or whatever university restaurant you frequent. Take 10 of them, plonk them down. That's all you have to do. It's not a big thing, is it? You know? There's piles of flyers in those places already. Or find somewhere else on campus where 10 of these will be okay. Yeah? Take 10. Um, Otherwise, go into a coffee shop and say, could I leave 10 of these flyers? And again, in many of the coffee shops in Bordeaux, there are flyers. And they'll be very happy for you to leave flyers. Um, Bradley's Bookshop. If someone could take 10 flyers to Bradley's Bookshop and say, could I leave these flyers, please? Uh, You get the point now. Just take 10 flyers, a concrete step. And it's a small step. But pray about it. Ask God to help you to find a good place to put your 10 flyers and put out 10 flyers this week. And that will already be uh, quite a few flyers gone out around Bordeaux. And we'll have dented our little pile of flyers quite a lot. Um, But that's okay. It's things like that. You know... um, it's, it's not, when we think about sharing the gospel, sharing uh, the message of Jesus, we automatically think of kind of meeting strangers on the street and saying, can I just share the message of Jesus Christ with you and spending half an hour? You know, we begin with a fall and uh, we end up with revelation. You know, we think, I've got to get all of this out, out of my, my mind, into theirs. And, and it's not that, is it? It's not. It's taking a step. It's going to the Picnic de Cartier, sitting next to someone who looks lonely and saying, hi there, where do you live? It's, it's going into the university restaurant and not sing, sitting on your own, looking for someone who's on their own and sitting with them and saying, hi, do you mind if I sit here? And you never know what's going to happen. Maybe nothing will happen. Maybe they'll say, yeah, I don't want you to sit there. And you have to go away. Well, that's okay. Nobody died. That's okay. Find someone else then. That's all right, isn't it? Um, take a risk and just do something and ask God to bless the little we can do we can't do a lot but we can do a little and with a little God can do a lot okay
We'll pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you achieved through these disciples. We know that they weren't very promising material. We know that um, the Lord Jesus Christ many times had to rebuke them for their uh, competition, for arguing about who was the greatest. They, they were on the road to Calvary with him where he was going to give his life for them and they knew he was going to do that and still they argued on the way. Uh, we, we stand in awe of what you did through these people and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us sufficient trust in you and dependence on you and the fullness of your Holy Spirit that we may take those little steps too and share the message of Jesus Christ with uh, the people around us. Please help us, we pray. Um, we have nothing to bring to you, but you have everything to give to us. And we come to you asking humbly for you to take us up and use us for Jesus' glory. Amen.